brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. As David said, as he looked Goliath straight in the eye, it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. With this statement, we could hardly ask for a clear proclamation of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. A declaration made before all Israel some 1,000 years before David's greater son was to appear. And because Jesus is not only David's son but Lord, we are called, like David, to fight our spiritual battles, not in our own strength, but in the power of faith in him who is our victorious champion and Lord as well. Not in the might of the flesh, but in the power of the Spirit. Here we see the Lord's power to give victory against dramatically overwhelming odds in response to faith. For there could hardly have been a greater contrast than that between the heavily armed Goliath with all of his protective gear and David, who looks so entirely vulnerable and so easy to defeat that Goliath actually regarded his approach as a great insult. But it was this event that marked David as the true king of Israel, as a king who was filled with the Spirit of God and prepared to answer Goliath's challenge. As with Jesus right after his anointing, so here with David, there is a time of testing before he ascends the throne. For as you remember, it was after Jesus' baptism by John when he was anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit that Jesus was led into the wilderness to face our great adversary, the devil, and to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. Interestingly, verse 16 here says that for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. 40, as you know, often being associated in Scripture with a time of trial and of testing. I'll think of it. Twice a day, for no less than 40 days, this terrible giant of Gath menaced the army of Israel. Day after day, Saul and his army gathered at the top of the opposing hill only to be humiliated. And worse, to hear him defy the ranks of Israel, which was to mock not only God's covenant people, but the God of Israel himself. As Goliath shook his fist in scorn of high heaven, all the Israelites could do was to run away from him in terror. 
What we see here is the powerlessness of a people out of communion with God. No longer did the God-inspired courage of former days fire Israel now. The Spirit of God had departed from Saul, and his fellow Israelites seemed to have melted away in the depression of it all. For there was Saul, who stood a whole head taller than any of the people of Israel. There was his brave son, Jonathan, who earlier had scaled an almost impassable cliff and killed 20 Philistines before routing their entire army, totally unassisted except for his armor bearer. And there was Abner, the captain of the army, whom the scriptures call a valiant man. But all of these declined Goliath's challenge. Sad evidence that the fear of the Lord was no longer upon them. All Saul could do was was promise gifts of nobility through the marriage of his daughter for the one who killed Goliath. Clearly, unbelief makes us cowards. And it will always be that way. For those who walk by sight and not by faith. For it makes us unable to do what we ought to do and what we need to do and to be defeated by sin. Why? Because all we see then is the problem, which is just so big. And often so overpowering, so terrifying, and therefore also paralyzing. Now make no mistake about it. Our problems and our enemies are far bigger and stronger than we are. You may be facing, even right now, a dreadful disease, and tempted to give up in despair. You may be faced with difficult problems in your family that threaten to alienate you from them. You may be faced with sins and addictions in your life that insist on enslaving you or with any kind of situation or pressure bent on tyrannizing you, and from which you see no escape, no way to win, any and all of these can be terrible. But behind all of them is Satan, who is looking actually to devour you. The poor shape of Saul's army is really a picture of us in our own strength. Picture of our own powerlessness. Goliath is a picture of our great enemy, 
the devil, seeking to terrify us and to bring us under his control. For his power and his strength symbolize the great power of Satan, which no mere flesh and blood can overcome. Worst of all, the terms of the battle between us and Satan are the same as between Israel and Goliath. For if Satan overcomes us, and whoever he overcomes, are subject to him. But if we win, he in all his powers will be subject to us. Goliath's blatant challenge echoed nothing less than the roar of our great adversary, who, as 1 Peter 5 says, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who can possibly stand against him? But it's here that we see what grace is all about. For when all seemed hopeless and lost for Israel, with no one to take up Goliath's challenge, God had his man in reserve. In David, and David makes his appearance straight from the pasture and from tending his father's sheep. In this way, again, we see a glimpse of Jesus as David goes about his father's business seeking the welfare and well-being of his brothers. And the reception that he receives from his own brothers is the same as well. For as David is maligned and misunderstood by his older brother Eliab, who accuses him of evil motives, well, so John 1 verse 11 says of Jesus that he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. And like our Lord Jesus, David's response reveals his humility and his, weak, his meekness. But notice here the great difference between the effect of Goliath's words upon Saul's army and the effect of his words upon David. For both were equally upset and dismayed. But it wasn't fear that filled David, but anger. And what the army of Saul seemed numb to struck David deeply. Who, he says, is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It was zeal for God's honor that filled David. And once more, David reminds us of our Savior, who, as we read in the Gospels, was consumed with zeal for his Father's name. For when Jesus saw what people were doing with all the buying and the selling of animals in the temple, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my Father's house into a market? And that's the same zeal and the same holy indignation that filled David when he heard the taunts of Goliath. 
And that moved him to do what he does. How we need more of this today, don't we, in the church. For faith sees through the exteriors and beyond mere outward things. Faith is not impressed with what is seen. Whether in numbers, in money, in big impressive buildings, or the number of degrees listed behind a person's name. Faith sees things the way God does. And that's why we see such a big difference between the way Saul viewed Goliath and the way David does. For Saul views him totally according to the flesh. As Saul says to David in verse 33, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. As we see further in verse 38, Saul had more confidence in his own armor than in God. In Saul's mind, what David needed was more armor power. Faith had nothing to do with it. From a human point of view, Goliath was a man who could not be defeated. As one of the descendants of the Anakim, Goliath stood close to 10 feet tall, which was twice the height of most of the other soldiers. He wore close to 200 pounds of armor, and the point on his huge spear alone weighed 15 pounds. Besides this, Goliath had his able shield bearer who went before him. In comparison to all this, what did David have? When Goliath saw David armed with nothing but a sling and a stone, he was incensed. He was livid. And cursed David in the name of his gods. And so for the third time, David is disdained, discouraged, and despised. First by his brother Eliab, then by Saul, and now by Goliath. But as Arthur Pink says, true faith is neither cooled by a cold reception or turned aside by outward difficulties. Rather, it looks away from both to him with whom it has to do. For if God is with us, who can be against us. Goliath boasted that he would soon, that he would make quick work of David. For he looked so vulnerable and an easy, easy victory. Just one swift thrust of his spear would lay David dead and bleeding at his feet. And so Goliath swore by his gods that he would make pet food out of him in short order. But David also has something to say as he confronts Goliath's carnal confidence. 
as he confronts him in the name of the true God, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of heaven's mighty ones and the God of the armies of Israel. For you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. As David declares, it's that God whom Goliath has blasphemed and ridiculed who would take up Goliath's challenge. Indeed, it's that God who not only avenges his name, but protects those who trust in that name. For as Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So sure, in fact, was David that God would defend his honor that David announces the victory in advance. As he says in verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Faith can do that for one little stone in the sling of faith is far, far mightier than all the armor and weaponry of unbelief, however great their weapons may seem. And so David runs quickly to meet Goliath, and with one little sling and a stone propelled by the aim and power of God, Goliath receives a mortal wound to his head. And there the people imagine seeing this, this gigantic form of this Philistine encased in all his impressive armor begins to crumple helplessly to the ground. And with Goliath's own sword, David finishes him off and cuts off his head. Brothers and sisters, what really is the point of this wonderful episode in Israel's history? Is it, first of all, about David's courage or even faith? Is it dare to be a David? No. But as David himself declared by the Holy Spirit, it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Throughout all of Israel's history, this is the story of salvation. This is the gospel. And this is the real point that God would have us to live by. Just as when Moses stood on the shore of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army closing in for the kill, all the people had to do 
was to trust in the Lord. And as Moses said, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. And so here, as we witness the fact that salvation comes by grace through faith. A salvation that points to and culminates in what David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has done for us. For here we see Jesus going to war against a far greater giant of an enemy who as the right man on our side, as Martin Luther's great him, a mighty fortress, puts it, is the Lord Sabaoth himself, without whose help our striving would be losing. It was he who in the wilderness defeated Satan, as David did Goliath. And with just one stone, with the book of Deuteronomy alone, he withstood his temptations by quoting from it three times, saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And here too, we see Jesus, who not only defeated Satan, but delivered him a mortal blow who by his death on the cross, says Hebrews 2.14, destroyed him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Yes, by his death as the payment for our sin. And by his resurrection from the dead, for our justification, he has conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell for all those who believe in him. And not only to save us from these horrible enemies, but to make us strong against them as well. For because David's son has conquered them for us. It means that we are more than conquerors through him and his love for us. Remember that, beloved, when you are called to stand up for your faith. And it seems that no one else is with you. When you have to make your convictions known, say, in a very hostile workplace, amongst your friends who may think differently, or with your non-Christian neighbor. And everything seems to be against you. When standing up against such societal and personal evils as abortion or pornography, for example, or evolution, or gay marriage, materialism, and just plain worldliness. These things seem like giants. Remember that as 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you 
than he who was in the world. As we see with David, God delights to use those that are weak according to natural strength and foolish according to worldly wisdom. Those who, like David, may seem utterly unfitted for the work before them so that when he gives the victory, no one may boast before him but that all our boasting may be in the Lord. So, are there people who oppose you for doing God's will? Are you put down? Are you being persecuted for Jesus' sake? Then realize that even this is for a grand and godly purpose. Even as we see with Goliath. For as David himself says in Psalm 76, even the wrath of man shall bring God praise. Is the battle that you're fighting or the task that you've been given too big for you? Are the sins that you may be presently struggling with overwhelming you? Then look to the Lord in faith and affirm with Paul in Philippians 4.13 that indeed I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yes, you and I, without doubt, have great needs And we face and will face insurmountable problems in our lives. But along with our great needs, we have a greater Christ. And an undefeatable champion in our needs. God's desire is that your testimony be like that of David's, to be able to look back and to be able to say in regards to the present and what you're facing in the present, that the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine, this problem as well. What we need today are true Israelites who see in the gigantic challenges that face us, not dangers to be avoided and insults merely to be endured, but opportunities for God to be glorified. Then indeed, as David proclaimed just a moment Before Goliath fell dead, then the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Amen.